quick. Okay, um, we are, um, this, 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 I was starting a series today on discipleship, um, which we're going to do for a while. And then um, with the sad news on Thursday, I thought, well, do we have to completely change this? But if you actually look at um, the way the Queen lived, I'm, I'm going to change it a bit, but not entirely. And this will become evident as we go through it. I'm going to start reading in James chapter 2, verse 16. Um, if you want to follow on here, you can. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can do it that way instead. Uh, so verse 16 onwards says this. If one of you tells him, go in peace, stay warm and well fed, but does not provide for his physical needs, what good is that? So to faith by itself, if it does not result in action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Okay, so since the sad news of the Queen's passing, I have read a lot that she had a faith. I was, I've been aware of that a lot. There's a lot of stories that she had a faith. But in all honesty, this can mean lots of different things. In, 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 it can range from a person who believes that God is probably real to a person who lets that uh, faith affect them so much that it transforms their very lives and turns them inside out and completely and utterly rearranges the way they order things. So faith can make a big difference. If someone says they have a faith, it can be a completely different thing to different people. It's seen in their attitude, but it begins in a heart that is set apart for God. It's seen in our fruit, but it starts right down in our hearts. And it's very important that we understand where this begins. From all the things I've read about the Queen lately, I think the more we can say that she lived her life as a disciple, not just as a nominal believer. And I think that that's really important. It's not just her words, but it's in the stories I've read, it's in the things that I've read about, that it becomes very evident that she was deeply rooted in her faith. She's been, people have been moved by her compassion, by a servant-heartedness, which has come out again and again and again. And it's not necessarily what you would hear from every leader or about every leader these days. Being a disciple is a lifestyle that Jesus calls us to. Being a disciple is countercultural. It's the narrow way which Jesus spoke of. It's the uncomfortable path. It requires discipline, which is where the word disciple actually comes from. It requires resilience. Life chucks at us, as we are all aware, some pretty horrible things at times. But the disciple, the person who chooses to live their life on the teachings of Jesus, stands firm throughout. Being a disciple keeps us strong. Being a disciple keeps us going. Being a disciple keeps us rooted. And that there, in essence, is what the difference is. We had baptisms last week, and wasn't it amazing? And they all gave these testimonies of how life had been pretty rubbish at times, yeah? But they kept going, and they kept going, and they kept going. And the reason they kept going was because of Jesus. The reason they kept going was that they had chosen to commit their lives to Jesus. The reason they kept going was because he was the anchor that kept them firm and strong. And that was amazing. Let's just applaud those, those people again. Because it brought so much joy to my heart to hear those messages. 
it brought so much heart to hear of those people that were living and had chosen to live for Jesus because and in spite of those things, rather. Yep, and that is the difference. And it was the same with the queen. I mean, you said the queen, she had all that money, she had everything that she wanted, but she had a lot of stuff that Life Church had us, um, and she walked through it. As she said herself during her reign, each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day brings, and to put my trust in God. I know just how much I rely on my own faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a, an image now, um, which you may agree with, you may not. Well, I don't fully agree with it myself, but it suffices for the time being because it's not really a linear thing, but it's, it helps us to understand how discipleship kind of works a little bit. So you start off on the far left, and the far left is everyone who's really just not bothered at all, all right? I hope not, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so we've got all of that, and then you've got people who are a little bit curious, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. We then move into believers, people that would call themselves having a faith. Somewhere in that circle, people get saved. Somewhere, people decide to follow Jesus. Somewhere. And then we go all the way to the far right, where we have a disciple. On the far right of that circle, where people are being wholehearted for him, living with everything. So here's a question. Where would you put yourself on that diagram right now? On the left? No, on the left. <laughs> right that? Oh, dear. <laughs> it's an interesting question, and it shouldn't be a condemning one, because we're all at different places, Okay? We're all at different places. So the far left is not bothered at all. The far left is not curious. But then we go to curious. Then we go to believer. Then we go to disciple. And, and the far left is just kind of like, you know, that's really um, for people that have never really considered God or have happened have discarded it. Um, but the point being that God is always nudging us further and further down the right of that pathway. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're all at different places, but God is always speaking to us. He's always nudging us. It's a journey to become more and more wholehearted. It's a journey to become more and more like Jesus. It's a journey to become more and more fully committed to him, fully surrendered to him, fully yielded to him. Are we happy with that? Yep. So I'm not there going, well, you're not good enough yet. We're just saying that this is all a journey. None of us are perfect yet. None of us have made it yet. But more and more and more, God prompts us. God speaks to us. God leads us further and further and further down that pathway. Um, so it's an important bit, but we have to start really at the very heart of discipleship, which is relationship with God. Because if we don't begin there, then we've lost it. So it's where we begin with the most loving, the most generous, the most always good, as I've started that part, God. God is love. God overflows with love. His love is personal. His love is relational. He is a God who comes near to people. He's a God who seeks relationship with every single person on the planet, nearly 8 billion of them now. And that's God. He wants to have that relationship. And that love is best demonstrated in coming to earth, in dying a horrific death. For the sake of all mankind, even for those who hated him. In love, Jesus exposed himself to violence, 
and to suffering. He chose to share our suffering, and life can be awful, but Jesus knows and cares and can empathize with each and every one of our problems and each of our sufferings. He knows it because he felt it on the cross, and effectively, he hurts when we do, just like a parent hurts when their child hurts. The nature of God's love is totally unlike the way the world loves. He doesn't look at your performance. He doesn't look at our behavior. He doesn't look at our attitude to determine how much to love us. He doesn't ask anything of us in that respect. He doesn't say, what can this person offer me? He just chooses to love. He chooses to love first. And he loves us completely, knowing absolutely everything there is to know about us. He knows all of our sins, he knows all of our weaknesses, he knows all of our rubbish, and he still chooses to love. There is absolutely nothing more important to God than to you, to a relationship with you, and that is the basis of all of this. It's where we start. But why on earth am I talking about God's love? What on earth has that got to do with living life as a disciple? Nothing, has it? That's a perplexing question that I wasn't expecting to have to answer. And yet it's the journey we start on. It's the journey we begin on, and it's the journey that we have to continually draw on. The love of God is an inspiration for all of us. Really, it should be our encouragement. It's our power to live as a disciple. The Queen herself stated in 2014, For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, this was a Christmas speech, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life, a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance and healing. Christ's example has taught me to seek to respect and value all people of whatever faith or none. And she said that there in 2014, and it still rings true. The more we believe and the more we receive Jesus' love for us, the more we are inwardly changed. And this is why the love of God is so paramount and so foundational to being a disciple. And this, you can see this all throughout the Bible, but there's a fascinating journey of this in Song of Songs, which Deb referred to two weeks ago, um, which is written quite poetically. But I'm going to pick out a few verses from it. And it, there is a, a huge journey that takes place in all of this, which I did mention years ago, but it's worthwhile going through again. In chapter 1, verse 2, right at the start, it starts with, let him, that after that it says, kiss me with the kisses of his lips. It's basically, let him love me. It's, it's, it's the start of the whole journey of Song of Songs. is, I'm going to let you love me, Jesus. I'm going to let you love me. If you've never read Song of Songs before, the lover is Jesus. All right, you've got to read it like that, otherwise you'll just think you're reading some racy kind of weird book in the Bible. The lover stands for Jesus, and um, the beloved stands for the bride of Christ, the believer. All right? So if you're going to go away and read it right now, you think, the pastor told me this was me. It's in the Bible, and it's all right. It's all good. But um, it, it's making sure you understand the poetry before we go any further with this. So let him look. It's basically saying, I allow you to love me, Jesus. That's the start of the relationship with God. I allow you to love me. You do nothing back. You're just allowing the love of God to enter your heart. You're allowing the love of God in. And that is the start of the book. I'm enjoying your love, and it is wonderful. And that's about it right now. That's as far as it's going. 
And then we travel into chapter 2. And chapter 2, it says this, My beloved is mine and I am his. Now the order there is really fascinating. I'm, in, I'm basically saying at this point, or the, the, the believer's saying at this point, that I own Jesus. I own this. I own Jesus. Jesus is for me. This is all, all about me at the moment and what Jesus can do for me. Does that make sense? That's that level of the relationship at that particular point. So it's all about me getting my prayers answered. It's all about me getting what I want from God. It's all about me and how God can serve me. It's that level of relationship at that particular point. And, um, and there is this kind of like, and I am his. He does come in a bit, so I will do a bit for him, but I'm pretty much expecting God to be my genie in a bottle at this particular point of the relationship. As you then travel to chapter 6, verse 3, the order gets switched. And this is where things become quite fascinating. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. So now it's more about what I can do for Jesus rather than what he can do for me. And now I'm serving him first. I still want something back out of the deal, but I am going to serve him. Does that make sense? And then as we get right to chapter 7, verse 10, it literally just says this. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. No ownership, no rights, no nothing. I just belong to him. I am completely and utterly his. And whatever he wants goes now at this particular point. Now, this happens as we allow God's love more and more and more into our hearts. Does that make sense? Yep. So the more we are believing and experiencing and enjoying God's love, the more we are focusing on God's love, the more there is an inward transformation that takes place where we love him more back and that love manifests itself in lordship. Got it? Ish. If you love somebody, you're going to get this. If you love somebody, you're going to do something far more for them rather than out of duty or duress or you have to. Haven't you? Yeah. So, you know, if, you, you know, if you've ever fallen in love with someone, you'll, you'll get that. You'll be, like, you'll be in a particular place where, you know, I'll, you know if, you're, if you're in the middle of a romance right now, you're in the middle of a relationship right now, you'll get this, where if the person wants to watch what you don't want to watch on telly, you'll still let them, won't you? Well, you're supposed to at that particular point. <laughs> you'll even eat your vegetables for them, do you know? It, it happens. <laughs> well, sometimes it happens. But... You get the point, maybe, a little bit, that you will, go for, you will do something a lot more for someone you love than for someone that's just asking you to do it and you're feeling dutiful to do it. And so that's what happens. The more we receive God's love, the more our passion for God grows, the more we surrender. Now, I said this is all over the Bible. Romans 12, verse 1 puts it like this in, when Paul wrote this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's love, having in yourself in that love relationship with God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The more we are in a place where we are focused on his love, enjoying his love, enjoying that relationship with him, the more we naturally, supernaturally surrender ourselves over to him. Does that make sense? 
Are we in the mood for that? And that's what we're about as a church, where we're loving God, we're loving people, we're saving souls, we're making disciples, because it's all about that relationship that we want everyone to enjoy, where people come into a wonderful relationship that they can enjoy. This isn't supposed to be just, well, those are the rules, get on with them. This is supposed to be a let's get into a relationship with God which is wonderful and a relationship which we can enjoy his love and a relationship where we love him back and desire to serve him and desire to do what he wants. Are we on board with that? If you are, you're in the right place. If not, then I'm sorry. You know, it's just not where you want to be. But that's the, that's the whole point. The motivating factor of surrender to Jesus, of making him Lord, of, making him sim- of, of going from simply a believer to a disciple, is a heart revelation of his sacrificial love for us. That's how we get from one place to the next. You don't just get on with it. You are in a place where you are allowing his love to mold and shape our hearts. Happy with that? Great. It's a good message because I'm saying just let God love you more. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. But that's worship. That's devotion. That's what it's all about. It's being a disciple. And it's expressed in obedience to every command and request by Jesus. Which is a bit of a horrible word, obedience, for some people. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we're called to. To obey God in absolutely everything that he asks us to. In John 14, 15, 16, somewhere around that, he says, The one who loves me will obey me. Yes, that's how we ex- our love is expressed to God. And that's important. So it's the relationship that Jesus desires. One which we are in love with him. Not romantic love, but one where we are loving him, enjoying his love, and back to obedience. Because by being a living sacrifice, it means we love God more than anyone or anything else. Now I want you to think about that a second. Because that's quite a big ask. We're going to love God more than anything else, more than anyone else on the planet. It means that we take the difficult choice if it glorifies Jesus. It means that we build his kingdom, even if we get nothing back, even if no one notices, even if no one says thank you, we still do what Jesus calls us to do. Okay? Yes. Even if you get nothing out of this deal, from people, that's what we're called into. It means that we're fully at God's disposal to be available to him, to be willing to obey him in whatever he asks us. It means we go the extra mile, that we forgive when we're wronged, that we love those people that despise us, that people that don't care for us. It means that we are always, always listening to see what he wants to do for us next. And it's a way of life that can hurt, but it's also the right way to live. And it means we spend our time giving to others. It means we spend our time listening to others, serving others, being humble. This is a story I read recently about the Queen, and it shows a lot, I think, about how her attitude was. Um, This was um, given by one of her attendants in 2005, the Queen met a group of Holocaust survivors from Auschwitz. The time came for her to leave, but she stayed. And for a good while. One of her attendants said she, that he had never known her to linger so long after her scheduled departure time. 
She gave each survivor, and it was a large group, her focused, unhurried attention. She stood with each until they had finished telling her personal, sto the, her, their personal story. It was an act of kindness that almost had me in tears. It brought a kind of blessed closure into deeply lacerated lives. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah? She just gave her whatever time she felt. I don't care what's next. I'm gonna, these people need me right now. They need to tell their story, and I'm going to be there for these people, which is absolutely incredible. Now, as I was going through this, I did have to answer this question. Why do we not surrender? What stops us from surrendering? Because it comes up again and again in Scripture. You know, it's good to surrender. We need to surrender our lives and yield to Jesus. But I think it takes a lot of courage. I think it's very easy to be worried of the unknown. It's very easy to, to worry about what God might say if we do or what the cost of, of surrendering actually might look like. We are looking at the unknown here, and the unknown is not a good place for most people. So if I have to surrender, and what is that going to be? It's going to take a bit of trust that actually what God's going to call me into is going to be the right thing and the good thing, and it's going to be something that I can trust him through. And all throughout the Gospels, Jesus puts down the challenge to people who already believed in him to follow him as their Lord, as his Lord or her Lord. That was the challenge that he put down several times. And it had varying results, very different results from very different people. There was a rich man who came up to Jesus and said, I, will, I want to follow you, what, have I done? what do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus says to him, sell all your possessions, give to the poor and then come and follow me. And he, he couldn't do it because he, his wealth was too important to him. There was other people of massive position, great position, great reputation in different places, and they couldn't follow him because it just took too much of a cost. It, the cost was too high to follow Jesus. To, to turn their backs on the religious order of the day and to follow him was seen as just too much of a cost. People couldn't give up their possessions to follow him. It all was challenged to follow Jesus. They were all challenged to make him their Lord, and they found it really difficult. He did the same with Matthew, though. He did the same with Mark. He did the same with John. He did the same with Peter, and they chose to follow him. So it's different for different people. Different people go, yes, we'll do it. It's interesting that even Jesus himself stood in front of them, wasn't able to bring a full release of lordship, yeah? Because it's down to us. It's completely down to us whether we choose to surrender or not. And it's very, very, very important that we grab hold of that. But we only live once, don't we? Yes? So we're faced with a choice. Do we play it safe? Do we do what we know works? Do we live for ourselves or do we take a risk? Do we trust Jesus with our lives? Because he has an incredible adventure waiting for us if we do. But it is a risk. It's always a risk to place your hands or your life in the hands of someone else. I hope it's something that we all know that he's got a better plan for. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And a great eternal perspective on the whole deal that stands before all of us every single day. 
God, whether we're going to yield, whether we're going to surrender, whether we're going to give our lives over afresh on a new day and a new day and a new day. But discipleship is a journey, and we continually surrender new areas over to Jesus. Every single day, he prompts, he probes, and he asks us to give over different things. His Holy Spirit puts his finger on different areas and says, will you give that over to me today? And it's something that he does in us every single moment. Jesus wants us to come more and more to a place of full surrender. One of the first things in my life was swearing. I became a Christian at 22. I liked to swear. My words were not nice. They pulled people down. They were very horrible. You can't believe that about me, can you? No, I know. But it, was, it wasn't nice. But, um, but I, I, I would tell stories. I would tell a lot of stories that I thought they were funny. And, but they dragged people down. Some, you know, they dragged other people down. And, um, and the Holy Spirit would go, I don't want you to do that anymore. And it took a while for me to surrender that. But I surrendered it over. So, so there we are. So I can't drag you down now. Well, I can. But I'm not going to. It's a choice. <laughs> one, one of them, this is much a larger one. That's a lifestyle one, the first one. This is a larger one. Um, was in becoming a pastor. Because I didn't want to become a pastor. I don't know if I ever told you this. You're now wondering, do I still want to become a pastor? Um, um, I didn't want to, I, I didn't. And people from a very early age, I mean, I became a Christian at 22. So in the, even in my 20s, people were saying, oh, yeah, yeah I can see you being a pastor. I'm like, not a chance. This is not happening. I don't want to do it. Throughout my 30s, the same. A lot of people going, oh, you know, people would pray with me going, oh, we know God, he's going to be a pastor. And I'm like, I am not, I'm not hearing that at all. So I didn't want to. I did not want this. I, I was like, I, and by the time I'm in my 40s, it was coming more and more regularly. And I'm going, I don't hear anything. I'm not, I'm not sensing anything at all. Um, I had a standard pat answer for everyone. I'd, I would say, if God speaks to me about it, then I'll do it. But... You know, at the moment, I'm not sensing anything. So there we are. But I had a nice life. I had a lovely life. I, I, I had a job I loved. Absolutely. I was a teacher, and I, you get loads of holidays. It's absolutely fantastic. Any teacher that winds up, you say, oh, it's a hard job. It's not. They're lying to you. It's amazing. You get 13 weeks holiday a year. You finish at 3.30. It's like... And they whine and they moan. It's a brilliant job. But, so this is life. This is my life. I was a math teacher. Even the marking's easy. It's just tick, tick, cross, cross. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't get any better. It's really, really nice. It's a lovely job. So anyone who moans, don't listen to it. But, anyway, so this is my life. I'm liking it. It's well paid as well. Don't moan about that. So, it's well paid. I'm getting money in. Um, provide for the family. Angie didn't even have to work. And, um, and so we're going through, and, um, and it becomes more and more regular, these things of, you know, I, think, you know you, I can see God calling you to be a pastor. And in the end, we're like, right, okay, I'll pray about it then. I'll seriously pray about it. But, uh, you know, what I'm wanting to hear is no. Do you know what I mean? I'm wanting to hear, you know, it's not for you, this. This is not your life. This is not your path. And then it came down to it. I heard uh, very, very quickly into the praying session, I realized why I was hearing nothing was that there was a member of my family who would have, who was going to be absolutely, a very important member of my family, who was going to be very, very, very unhappy with me. Should I make this decision to the degree that they may never ever speak to me again? It wasn't my wife, so you see, <laughs> just so you know. Um, but they, that was the deal at that time. And so I was blanking it. I could not hear a thing. 
at all because I was placing this relationship up here and I was saying, well, actually, I don't want to know because if I become a pastor, if I choose this life, then I might have to say goodbye to that relationship forever. They may never speak to me ever, ever again. And that's a big deal. So it's interesting how your subconscious works because I'd never even considered it before properly. And then I had to pray and place that relationship on the altar. I had to pray and say, God, whatever you want, even if it means the end of that relationship, even if it means that that's finished, whatever you desire for my future is yours. And as soon as I did that, I started to hear God loud and clear. And that there is quite amazing because surrendering to God gives him a landing platform into your heart to speak. Surrendering to God allows him into a place that you may not have heard before. You may not even have realized was something. But you are giving him a platform now to say, right, I can now talk to you about what I want to talk to you about. And it's whatever issue that he brings up and says, you see this? This is what's getting in the way. It's not always necessarily what we want to hear. And I'm not going to tell you it was an easy journey. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't easy telling that, uh, that person that uh, I was going to become a pastor. But, thankfully, they are still talking to me. But you get the point. It would have been easier not to at all. I never had a lot more holidays. <laughs> there you get that. Anyway, here we are. And I'm glad I made the choice. I'm glad it is. God's got a great future for us as a church. He's got a great future for every single one of us. And I want you to get on board with that, that every single person here, he's got a plan for it. Every single person here, he wants to move in your lives as a body of believers. We all need each other, don't we? We all need each other to move forward, to see the body of Christ develop, to see the kingdom of God come, to see his will done in Cheltenham and in the region. Yep? Okay? So that's a big part of the call of God in every single one of your lives. That's a huge part. You've got, God has got a role for you to play in building the kingdom of God. In Cheltenham or wherever it is that you're from, if you're visiting here today, he's got a big call. You get plugged into the kingdom of God. You get plugged into your local church and you build it. And you build it and you see God's kingdom come and his will being done. Now, um, I was going to say this. I'm running massively out of time, so I will briefly go through this. If you don't have the, what shall I say, if God starts to speak to you about something, which you're thinking, you know what, I, I, I really don't want to do that, God. There's this wonderful verse in Philippians, chapter 2, verse 12, which says the following. Um, I'll go straight to verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There are many times in my life that God has spoken to me about something that, i be honest with you, I didn't want to do. And this verse here, to will and to act, basically means this. He gives you the desire and he gives you the power to obey him. All right? So you don't even have to desire to obey him. You just have to pray, God, give me the desire. Give me the power to obey you. It's as easy as that because it's God that does the work inside of us, each one of us, okay? God's working in us all the time, and he's giving you the desire, and he's giving you the power more and more and more to obey him. Got that? All right. So if, you, if something comes up over the next whatever, you're thinking, oh, good grief, I didn't mean that. I, didn't want, <laughs> I don't want to obey there. Then there we are. It all comes from him. Okay. 
I can have the band up, that would be great. Um, and uh, we, will, um, we will just conclude here at this particular point. So the, the key takeaway thing for you to, from this is that the key takeaway point from all of this is that God is transforming people's lives in stages, in bit by bit by bit. We've all been called to live life as disciples, fully surrendered to Jesus and in wholehearted commitment to him. And that happens as we surrender again and again and again over to him. If I can ask you all to stand, we're going to pray in a minute. Before we do, I'm going to give everybody here today a fresh opportunity to surrender to Jesus. And as I stated earlier, it's all a journey. It's not a one-off. It's not a, well, I've already done it, so I don't need to do it again. Every single day, we need to come to a new place where we surrender, a new place where we say, yes, you can have more of my heart today. I mean, we, every day I can say, I'll give you all of my heart. But it, it, God moves in it stage by stage. Um, and he wants to take us further. You might not be a Christian online here watching or, or, or here in the building. Um, and today's a day where you can choose to enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus. And we do that by admitting our sins and our mistakes by receiving that wonderful forgiveness and making him our Lord. Um, and so you can all pray the same prayer in a minute. Depend, it doesn't matter who you are. But everyone today, every single person, Jesus is stood before us. Jesus is saying, will you take the next step in your journey with me? Will you freshly surrender to me all of your life, all of your heart? Will you trust me to take the next step in your adventure with God? And if you desire to do that, please pray along with me now. Lord, I thank you for your incredible love for me. For your forgiveness on the cross. I repent of all my sins and mistakes. I choose, I choose, choose to surrender all my life to you. Take me on in my journey with you. Speak into my heart and show me my next steps. Amen.